This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are back for our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the sixth episode of Season 2. Season 2, Episode 6. Man, I think I like this episode, too, for a different, a whole nother, different kind of list of reasons, Brent. I think I... Yeah, I'm really a fan of uh, what they're doing with Season 2. I'm trying to think, did this have... Is this another just like character stage setting episode or is there a whole lot of text in this one? I don't really think there is, is there? I mean, right at the end, you do get a good chunk oh, of like yeah. Matthew 12. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm a, apparently I'm a sucker for this uh, character building stuff. I just <laughs> like what they're doing and everything else. So yeah, I'm ready to, I don't know if I have a whole lot of notes in front of me, but let's get into it and see what there's, see what's there. So we start off, we're in Nob, I guess, is how I would have always said this before, but I think maybe it's Nove. Is that how you pronounce this place? Oh, um, I, I always just say Nob in the English, but I'd have to look at it in the Hebrew now that I'm qualified to do so to see uh, what the violation there <laughs> is. But Well, anyway, so we're in Israel. They put us at 1008 BC, uh, which is interestingly specific. But I like it. Uh, we have some parents. They're arguing about how their child is sick. He's on like day five of a fever or whatever. And uh, the dad's optimistic. The mom is more concerned. I think that's um, definitely a relatable set of attitudes in my household. Uh, so anyway, the the dad ends up taking his second son to to go deal with the showbread. Turns out he is a priest and he is Ahimelech. And his son is Avi Aviathar. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but something like that. Yep. Um, so they're they're going through the whole process. He's teaching his kid how to how to change everything. The kid's asking funny questions like, "Well, why didn't God eat the bread?" He's like, "Well, God doesn't actually need the bread. This is a symbol." Blah blah blah. And then a man comes barging in asking for food. Turns out it's David, and this is. Uh, this is the the point where he is hungry and needs some food, and he's gonna he's gonna ultimately take this sacred bread. And uh, Ahimelech appeals to Torah, and David appeals to Pikuak Nefesh. Is that right? Boy, now you say the first one, I'm not sure. Um, I, he said it in the episode, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Whatever he said sounded sounded right, but <laughs> I mean, the last word of that is going to be soul, mm -hmm. not Nefesh. So, and then what they have is they have this discussion about life, like the value of the law versus, which, I mean, what they're talking about, I have, I have very serious doubts would have existed in the days of David, but, but they're having a very, um, yeah, legitimate Jewish legal argument over, um, the what we what we're going to call later and even later in this episode the, the weightiness of the law and so david is appealing to some kind of soul care not soul we wouldn't say soul care we'd say life like the weightiness of life the preservation of life the um and so you can follow torah but you can also preserve life which one is is weightier and the priest is going to make his priestly ruling and in, in his actions that follow. But that's the conversation they're having is law says this. And David's response is essentially, yeah, but, but, but righteousness says this. 
Um, and, and that's the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Um, so ultimately he does provide the bread. Um, they, they exchange, uh, the fact that this is uh, life threatening for him to do this for David. Um, but an interesting diversion from the, from the biblical text is he does not actually get the sword of Goliath at this point. Um, which I don't know why he would need it necessarily in the context of the show, but, um, just a, a note. What as an I was, interesting grab, Brent. Wow. I didn't even think about that, but you're spot on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he runs off and, uh, and then we're into the credits. Simon uh, is waking up in a stable. He has a piece of straw in his mouth, spits that out, uh, gets up. Matthew's already working on a plan to find Mary, uh, asks Simon about breakfast. Simon realizes that Matthew did not put down fresh straw uh, when he slept, and so he is covered in some sort of animal stuff. And uh, (laughs) excrement. Yeah, Matthew has a, you know... (laughs) A reasonable reaction to that, as you might imagine. Especially uh, for Matthew. Yeah. yeah. Um, so ultimately, Simon uh, does start to work on breakfast, even though he he's like, I don't, I don't cook. I don't do anything with that. Um, and he kind of comes to realize, like, if I don't do something, I'm not going to eat anything today. Um, so they're discussing what they know. Uh, a Roman soldier stumbles by. He's totally drunk still from whatever whatever celebration he mentions uh dionysus i think yeah the god of wine and orgy i think we probably talked about dionysius uh before and i I mean he could have been referencing something else when i first heard that in passing i assumed he meant he had been out drinking and dionysius was carrying him and got him home yeah uh, i think that would have been one of our revelation episodes probably back in session four i think golly that probably would have been a few other places actually um yeah, Dionysius probably comes up more in session three. Oh, really? Uh, but session maybe. three? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Could could come up in a lot of places. All this stuff gets mixed up in my head, Marty. I don't know what's going on most of the time. Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> um, yeah, so Simon tries to help him and, uh, you know, he doesn't really want his help. So it's like, okay, whatever. Um, then we're back at, uh, I don't know if we're in the camp, but uh, Mother Mary is walking with Rama and uh, kind of teaching her about how to find food. And they discuss what it means for Jesus' time to have come. And Rama's kind of, uh, you know, still concerned about Mary and her safety. And she's like, well, why can't Jesus just bring her back? Um, and then uh, Mary quotes uh, Psalm 20 uh, to comfort her. And then we uh, jump to Mary in the tavern, and she's gambling apparently quite successfully, um, drinking quite a bit apparently, uh, makes a comment about how if the guy wants to win his money back, it's going to be behind the bar. Um, but she kind of gets into you know, this bad situation uh, where this dude's pretty upset about losing all of his money, and you know she kind of fights back, and, and he gets up and the the owner of the tavern kind of stops him but meanwhile she's having this kind of flashback to this moment with her dad um and he's like what do we do when we say uh what do we do when we're scared we say the words 
but she, okay. So this is my perspective. I feel like in this moment, she can't remember what the words are that she's supposed to say when she's scared. And that freaks her out. And she runs away. She leaves the money on the table and just like totally abandons the whole situation. Uh, I was watching the um, chosen YouTube director reaction to this. And he's saying her perspective was she's realizing at this moment, all of these guys around the table are not the people she should be with. She should be with the disciples, the other disciples, but she's with all these guys who don't mean anything to her. And she's, she wants to get out of there. She obviously doesn't feel like she can go straight back to them, but she does feel like she needs to get out of there. So I don't, yeah, apparently, uh, I did not, I did not read the scene as it was intended to be read. I say, I would say I was somewhere maybe in the middle, um, leaning director's way. Maybe I felt, I felt like how I was seeing it was, uh, she, she, she knew, she, she knew the words she was having that memory, but the shame, like what she's going to deal with that whole episode. She was too ashamed to say the words to step into that space. And so she just ran because she was feeling like that wasn't her. She had screwed that up. She couldn't say those words. It just fit with the rest of the narrative of the episode that I was hmm. uh, seeing. But that's how I that's how I took it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I'll uh, I'll throw that video in the show notes if anyone wants to see Dallas's comments on that. Beautiful. So then we have Thomas. Uh, he is counting out the remaining food that they have at the camp, and Andrew is kind of off to the side. He's concerned about Philip and. Um, they they have this discussion about what it means to have enough, whether money is a good thing to deal with at all. Um, Andrew's perspective from his time with John is like, money is this totally human construct, bad thing, like we don't do anything with it at all. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, Thomas is intrigued as Simon the Zealot comes out of his tent and starts doing his morning exercises. And... uh James and John are chopping wood. They also take note of Simon's exercises. And uh, I just love this conversation between the two of them. John's commenting uh, that he almost joined the Zealots, um, but they have enough rules already. And they're like, yeah, yeah, the 613, and then all these prayers and all this stuff. And then to add all of these exercise things on top of it, like, well, it's too much. And I was like, eh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have any yeah, thoughts about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, can, I can get that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like their conversation um, as well. The note I have is when uh, you're probably not there yet quite in their conversation, but when he says, um, yeah, the way he's given him, him his whole self to this one singular focus and it's not just going to change overnight. And I thought, man, what a beautiful comment as you consider this hover of disciples, where they're coming from. Some of them maybe, and like, like, I think it's, um, it's it's big or it's John that says you you think of little James you think of Thaddeus for some of these it's easier than others and I, 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 there's probably some truth to that I the journeys they have to go on and these things a these things aren't going to change overnight but ultimately they aren't going to all become one uniform thing together they're they're always going to have these aspects of their personality I just thought that was a really cool statement uh, a line of dialogue there that I liked. Yeah, I think they all kind of struggle with why they're there necessarily. 
But uh, yeah, that discussion specifically is like what they're coming out of and, and that contrast where it's like, ah, little James and Thaddeus didn't really have a whole lot going on anyway. Like it was easy for them to, to pick up and leave and, and not feel like they're leaving anything behind. But Simon spent all of this time dedicated to this thing and, and clearly he has not let it go yet. Like he's up doing all of his exercises. He's going to be, he doesn't have his dagger with him right now, but he's going to continue to be ready for what he's always trained for, for so many years. Yeah. And then the next part of their conversation, I just really love. They make, they make the note about, and why in the world did Jesus pair up Simon, Peter and Matthew? Like those two don't go together at all. It's like oil mm-hmm. and water. And, and then, <laughs> but then uh big James like makes this comment about, but, but to be honest, it's not just that I don't understand. It's every, and I thought about following on the heels of our last episode with Reed and the gospel of John like he makes this comment about there's a whole lot of things I don't understand. And to be honest, I'm just following. And that conversation is rooted in the same kind of thing that Reed and you and I were talking about, which is it's rooted in a deeper experience. They have they know that they've tasted and seen something. They know that they believe in something. And yet they don't understand so much. And I really, I thought on the heels of what we had just done in last week's conversations, I thought, man, what a great little conversation they have there in camp. Yeah. And one other line in, in there, they were talking about, uh, like they're bringing it home. Like, Hey, we, we don't, we don't have a position to stand on here. We've had our moments too, you know, our, our sons of thunder, we got, we got this thing. And, uh, you know, what is Ema going to think when she hears this story? And, and John says, Hey, well, maybe she'll be glad we got a title. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Knowing the context of later in the Gospels, too, that's great. Yeah, I just, I, I love those little setups for those things that we know are coming later. It's like, we don't yeah. we don't have anything else to that story except that one little moment. And so, you know, adding in this little bit of backstory to it is, is really great. Well, and I don't even know how much, the whether they'll forget about it or, you know, even if they don't come back to it. Like, I'm like, I, I'm literally thinking, will they come back to all this stuff later in the in the series, but even if they don't, just still so wonderful, uh, wonderful little textual biddles dropped in there. Yeah, yeah, we know they're not covering every single portion of of every bit of narrative that happens in scripture. So, yeah, maybe they won't bring it back up, but we know it's there. We know it's in the background. Yep, and so we can appreciate it now. Either way, a cultural remez, if you will. So then we're back in town. Simon and Matthew are heading down the stairs to the tavern. Um, Simon's like, let me go first. Matthew's reciting his Psalm 139 passage, which is great. Uh, It's like, man, just one line that Philip gave them. And it has been so useful for him, for everyone. Yep. Uh, They find out that Mary has moved on. um, So they go outside, they start developing a new plan. And then boom, Mary's sitting right there, calls out to them. Uh, They don't even have to look for her. Um, But she's totally in despair. Matthew's encouraging her. Simon um, realizes like, oh yeah, I can, I can point some things out too. Um, and then Matthew at one point in the conversation acknowledges his own problems to some extent. And Simon kind of perks up at that, like, oh, Matthew realizes, you know? Um, so I think, you know, probably more to come on, on that later, but, but there is that moment where, where things start to, uh, maybe, the wall starts to fall down between them just a little bit. Yeah. One of my, yeah. Uh, again, one of my favorite spots of this episode, probably one of my favorite spots of the whole season is this scene just from a, 
like an emotional, artistic perspective. Even before they find Jesus, Matthew's line, if you were cut off from Jesus. Before they find Mary, you mean? Yeah, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? Before they find? Before they find Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they find Mary. And, and he says, if you were cut off from Jesus, you know, wouldn't you want to be, you know, to get back quickly? I just, I thought that was really good. You can see it sink in with Peter. Like, oh, yeah, I, I get that. I know. There's a whole lot of relating. Like, there's a this is like a, a scene of empathy. Like, everybody connecting directly, indirectly. You can see them, like, relating to one another. Uh, man, Mary's st- statement about I'm broke again. Um, and then Mumser Matthew, I have in my notes. Mumser Matthew steps in because he knows how to speak that language. And he just refuses to stop affirming who she is and her place in the story and what God's doing through her has done through her. That mistake, a a blip on the screen compared to the rest of the story that God's been telling over her, you know, through her life over the last, you know, however much time. And I just thought, man, how instructive is that to just affirm people's place in the story, uh, affirm the good, speak truth in their life, tell them who they really are, their true identity, we would say in Christ, like whatever. Tell them who they really are, not who they seem to think they are. And just what a what a great little conversation. Yeah. So then we see Shmuel walking and talking with Dunash. I don't know if his name is important, but I noted it just in case he comes back later. Um, and this guy's saying like, uh, you know, he's obviously laying out his case against Jesus and his, um, dealings on the Sabbath. And, and the guy's like, look, this case is actually pretty thin. Um, he says, he's like, uh, many, many people have invoked the title of son of man from Daniel. Like that, that's not really anything that's going to get us concerned necessarily. And you're not even totally sure that this is the same person in all these cases. Like this is not not anything we can do about right now. Um, he refers to Shimon as president Shimon, which I thought was an interesting title, but I guess, you know, that's sort of what his position is in the, in the Sanhedrin. Um, I don't know whether they would use that, that term or if that term even existed at the time, but I think it communicates the right thing. Yeah. Probably has a decent translation of the idea. Yeah. Um, but he's like, Hey, look, president Shimon does not deal with, you know, these small types of matters. And, uh, the big issue is reforming the laws that are causing all this suffering for these marginalized people. It's like, Oh my gosh, hello. <laughs> uh, what, what a, what a great thing. Um, uh, yeah, it's another one of those. I mean, nobody's going to be surprised by this. It's another one of those stinking scenes I'm in love with where, I mean, they literally talk about the weightiness of the law. They talk about it exactly the way that we describe it in session three. Um, they use such a great example with the laws of marriage and how there's a whole school. And I love how they called it like reform. Ah, yes, that that, histor- that historically represents it well. There's a whole school of Judaism saying the way we're doing things and the way we have done things is just not right. And the school of Hillel kind of winning over the day. But there is this this tension, this tug of war. I just loved it. It was... 
so well done. So well done. Yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to the fact that it is a council of people. It is not, it is not the almighty uh, ruler Shimon. It is president Shimon. He's just the leader amongst a, a group of people who all have a say in the matter. Right. And so he can't just, he can't just do whatever he wants, Yep. but he's working on it. He's working towards this goal. So anyway, Shmuel and uh, Yanni are dismissed, um, you know, curtly. <laughs> and uh, then we see them back in their office of sorts, whatever it is. And they're devising a new plan. They're like, okay, I guess we got to go through Shammai and see if we can get something happening on that angle. And um, like Yanni has this whole thing mapped out and he knows exactly how it's going to work. He's like, we can make this happen. And Shmuel is kind of like in despair about all of the political dealings that are required to make this happen. Like yep. he still believes in what he's saying, but he's like, ah, like it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to see how, how he's erect, reacting to it on an emotional level. It's like, that is kind of how I feel about politics. It is really gross sometimes. Well, I love how, I mean, obviously he's uh, more of a villain character. Um, I mean, who knows where they're going to go through the series with this particular um, historically based fictional character. And but they're showing a lot of his humanity. So it's he's not just this Pharisaic villain. It's somebody who has this idealism that we could relate to. Like they're they're, they're not here just for the corruption of politics. He's here because he's actually devoted to something. He actually believes in something. He's disgusted by all this other stuff, just as the other side would be, but he's just got his own set of convictions and idealism, which is working against the agenda of Jesus, unfortunately for him. Um, but yeah, it just shows his, it, it's a, it's a, a well-placed, uh, it's well-placed character design. I like it. And probably something that we'll see, you know, uh, play out in a similar way with, uh, Judas Iscariot, like, <gasps> how dare you suggest such things? No, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, we're going to, we'll, we'll get a lot more of Judas than we get in the Bible, but I think we're going to see like, Oh, he actually, he, he has, you know, things behind whatever he's doing, like as misguided we'll as they see. may be. I'm super interested to see what they're going to do, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. We will see. Uh, we don't know yet. Can't you tell I'm still hanging on to so much like cynicism? I'm like, no, <laughs> all my pessimistic attitudes. They can't get all of that right. Well, They're going like, to yeah. screw up something. We, we, you know, we were talking about this uh, yesterday in a completely different context, but it's like, yeah, you shouldn't count all your chickens before they're hatched, you know? So absolutely. And I say all of that right tongue in cheek. Hopefully everybody knows that as if I'm the one that knows what right was i know what history looked like i just have my opinions and convictions so we'll see what they do if i'll continue to love it we'll find out exactly i'm optimistic but yeah like there's still there's still five yeah five seasons left so there's there's yep. plenty of time for it to go downhill <laughs> uh so let's see we're back at the camp uh simon matthew and mary arrive uh mary is welcomed very warmly by by everyone and uh we found out Philip has just returned right before that with news of John the Baptist being imprisoned. And uh, Mother Mary takes Mary to see Jesus in his tent. Jesus is reassuring her. And, you know, uh, one of my one of the lines that I loved, he says, well, That's not much of a redemption if it can be lost in a day, is it? <laughs> so many good comments made in that little bit. This whole conversation is just uh, uh, 
class in how to restore someone. Yeah. Some of the notes I have, um, she says, I, I, I can't something. And Jesus responds with, I don't require much. And then I love the whole conversation with redemption. Just so clever and not like just clever in a beautifully restorative way, uh, an edifying way. I love the line that she said, they don't do anything with it in the scene, but I still think it was had a ton of power in it. They had to come get me. I just don't think I can do it. Do what? Live up to it. Repay you. How could I leave? How could I go back to the place I was? And I didn't even... I didn't even come back on my own. They had to come get me. I didn't even come back myself. They had to come get me. And I just thought, oh. Yeah. Like my internal heart voice said, oh, the church. Isn't that the work finally, we're supposed to be doing? Oh, they finally did. Like, it's, just a, it's just a historical fiction drama scene. And I'm just like, oh, the church finally did what they're supposed to do. Oh, just so good. Way to go, Matthew and Peter. But man, I'm going to give Matthew props in the scene there. But man, they did it. They went and got them. Ah, they ran and found the prodigal. Love it. Mm. Well, and jumping back to that scene where Matthew is, you know, calling out all the good things in her. I love that Simon doesn't just stand by idly the whole time. Like he's paying attention and he he thinks of his own story element where where he saw Mary doing something good. Right. And he, he jumps in there too. So he's not, yep. you know, yeah, I, obviously Matthew is the driver of that. But I, I love that Simon gets involved too. And yep. he's he's paying attention. He's recognizing the work that's actually happening. So 100%. Uh, ultimately, after, you know, Jesus says like, look, I don't require any of this craziness. I just want your heart and uh, the rest will, the rest will follow. And he forgives Mary and they hug. And uh, then we see Matthew is, is listening from outside the tent. And uh, then we're over with Andrew and he's totally shaken up about John's imprisonment. And Simon, the zealot, is like, well, we can break him out. And Philip's like, no, we're not going to do that. He entertains it for a while. He takes a moment. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, I do like that idea. Well, that would be fun to watch. I am considering it. Uh, I guess not. <laughs> I didn't really take that as much of a consideration as as uh, him just being polite about saying no. Maybe. But... <laughs> I was surprised. I was like, is Philip really considering this? Is he really doing? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we have Thomas uh, coming to Jesus, and he's like, look, I know you got a lot of stuff on your mind, but we're totally out of food. And he's like, ah, okay, no problem. We'll head out in the morning, and we'll we'll get some stuff. And so then uh, the next morning, they're walking. The, the whole group is walking to a synagogue in a small town. And um, Jesus is talking about how Mary needed help at the synagogue in Jericho and they didn't, they didn't give it to her. And uh, who was it? Uh, was it Jesus or what? Yeah, I think it was Jesus. He said, you know, she's a woman, so she didn't expect to be helped, but she needed help. Or was that Simon who said that? I cannot recall that, that part you're referring to. My brain says it was Simon, but I, you know, I, I can't remember it clearly enough to to tell you. Well, at any rate, um, there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of conversation around, like, "Hey, what is the what is the synagogue's purpose if it's not helping people?" Right. And uh, so they enter the synagogue um, during the reading of Deuteronomy 23. Um, there's a few like uneasy pauses as the crowd size basically quadruples. I think um, from who was there. Like this is a very small town and a very small synagogue. 
And so there's some, some uneasy pauses. And, uh, then Jesus moves over to this man who has a shriveled hand, uh, which I don't think we realized right away, but we see Jesus moving over towards this guy. And, uh, then the, the guy who was doing the reading as well as another priest, uh, come out and they're like, Hey, what are you doing? Um, they, they start arguing with Jesus about what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus ultimately heals the guy's hand. This, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is basically straight out of Matthew 12. I think they rearranged a little bit from, uh, how the order in Matthew 12, but Hey, that's uh par for the course for Matthew anyway. Right. That's right. So then they, they go outside and, uh, Simon just starts eating some grain cause he's so hungry. Everyone is stunned. They stop. He's like, Oh, and he spits it out. And Jesus is like, no, no, go ahead. And so then they're like, okay, rabbi says, and they all just go crazy with the grain. And then the synagogue leaders come running out and they're like, you've done this. And now your followers are doing all this. And, um, and yeah, they just have this, you know, this argument about it. And then the, they, they leave. And on the way out, Matthew's like, why does the son of man title get people so upset? <laughs> yeah. And Philip says, I'll tell you later. Okay. Here's my beef with this scene. And I, I cannot for the life of me figure this out. Cause this seems they're so aware of, there has to be a reason and I can't figure it out. I can't find it. Maybe I'm historically ignorant. Like this is so glaring to me. I'm wondering if I'm historically ig- ignorant in this case. I cannot figure out, and I think they've done it somewhere else in season one or two. I can't remember where, but I have it. Why is there somebody in the synagogue dressed like the high priest? Mm. I do not understand that. I don't. I don't get that. Like, are they? Because, like, my thought was maybe there was historical evidence to say that Wadi Kelt was the. But they wouldn't know. The high priest wouldn't live there, and the high priest would have been Caiaphas and the the house of Annas, and they definitely would have lived in Jerusalem. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure out. And I want to say there was another synagogue where the other synagogue leader was dressed as a high priest, but and maybe that was in Samaria. And I, I don't quote me. I can't remember if that's correct, but. That one bugged me the first time I walked it. Uh, I, I spent all kinds of time on the internet trying to figure out why. Why I was trying to figure out chosen material. I was trying to look historically, and for the life of me, I, I have no idea why there's a guy dressed like the high and just not a priest, the high priest. Yeah, <laughs> he's wearing the Kohen Gadol outfit, like reserved for only one dude. Who walks into the Holy of Holies once a year? Like, it's just such a wacky. Uh, there's got to be something I don't know, but that is super weird. Super weird to me. Anyway, mm. I digress. Yeah. Well, and they the the closing scene is the these synagogue leaders discussing like, are we going to report this? Are they going to care that we're reporting it? Maybe it'll be a, a big deal. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll matter that we're from a small place. Maybe that'll be to our advantage. They're arguing about all this stuff, but it's clear that he is not, he's not the high priest. Right. <laughs> uh, if there's, if there's any doubt, um, yep. based on, you know, that, that he's, he's based wherever they are. Yep. What, what'd you, what'd you say the name of the place was? Wadi Kelt. I haven't, I mean, I did a whole bunch of study on Wadi Kelt trying to figure out what am I missing <laughs> and I cannot find it, but yeah, Wadi Kelt just, it's a little bit out of Jerusalem. Uh, Wadi that kind of extends heads towards the Jordan River. Um, 
nothing of particular significance and relevance. It's a great spot for... Which is, yeah, which is exactly what they're saying. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to me. Super weird. I don't get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the episode. We uh, we leave with a few questions, well, but I like it. Yeah, and man, what a short little discussion today. There you go. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't have a ton of notes. There was just a ton of di- like great dialogue and... Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised at a shorter conversation today. It was a wonderful episode, just not a whole lot of, uh, you know, juicy stuff to wade through. It's good, straight, straightforward. There's so many, uh, so many moments where it's like I could, I mean, there's really no point in me recreating it because you just, you know, are going to get that from watching the show. So, mention enough to have our discussion, and and uh, you know, hopefully, people are just enjoying the show. Yep, yep, I know I am. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, this bonus episode of the Bama Podcast. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BamaDeception.com. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.